0: Welcome to the BCP and Me, a podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. My name is Father Tyler Richards, the rector of St. Anne's Episcopal Church in De Pere, Wisconsin. And today I am joined here by my co-host, Father Joshua Nelson, as well as a friend of ours, Mr. Matt Roney. Uh, from Traverse City, Michigan, as we continue our journey through this great book. Good afternoon, gentlemen.
1: Well, only two afternoon. minutes in, and you always were already went off script, Tyler.
0: They're not supposed to know we have a script.
2: This is totally <laughs> off the cuff. I've never, I you know, I've never seen a script. I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about, Father Joshua.
0: Good <sighs> <The script laughs> health is hard to find these days. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good thing I'm paying you guys, right? Or you wouldn't yeah. even be here.
1: Well, maybe that's why I keep giving away the secrets. I haven't seen my paycheck yet.
0: Well, there is that. Um, <laughs> He's got you there. <laughs> I, by the way, I'm going to edit all of this onto the B-roll. So we're still good here. So <laughs> We have we have not
2: uh, consciously deceived our uh our brothers and our uh,
1: siblings in Christ who are listening to us today.
0: Well, not yet. Give me- <laughs>
1: give us time. But today we're doing the office. So Father Tyler, you have your best boss ever mug, right? And I've got my Dundee sitting right now.
0: Actually, I have in front of me, uh, one of my favorite mugs that says I survived another meeting that could have been an email. (laughs) That probably is my best boss mug. Yeah. Or the closest thing I've got to a best boss mug right now. Uh, So, as Father Joshua has already pointed out and has been teased to death, we are here today to talk about The Office. Now, I am not Steve Carell on this podcast, uh, uh, nor nor am I any of the other characters, uh, but we are, of course, not talking about The Office. We are talking about The Daily Office. Um, And yeah, so here we are. We start talking about the office. Like, my, my first thing when I first heard this term was thinking, why do they call it an office? Was I, am I alone in that? Was I the only one that had that the first time I experienced that? You are not alone, um, but I love some etymology. And uh, I, I,
2: I love the actual origin of the term, which I will let you explain.
0: Well, Father Joshua is the one who's the most clever here among us, I dare say. And so he's going to uh going to let us have a little bit of discussion about the term office. So we, can. Joshua,
1: we hear- can. However, Father Tyler, uh today is the uh feast of Theodora Empress. Should we begin with prayer as we have our other podcast?
0: How very fitting that we should begin a discussion on the daily office with prayer. <laughs>
1: I, I really, I really just want to do this because when I first looked at it, all I could think of was, dear Theodora. Oh wait, that's Theodosia.
0: We have to pay for those rights. Don't
1: we? Oh darn! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're gonna, you're gonna get us uh, hit with copyright, man. We'll, we'll tag Lin-Manuel and it'll be
2: okay. Okay. So, in truth, Alexander Hamilton was buried in an Episcopal church.
0: I think. Yes. I think we're good. Yes. Actually, Trinity Church. Uh, so I've been there. Yes. But before we end up in another musical, as we always do in typical <laughs> fashion, the Lord be with you. And
1: also, and also with you.
0: Let us pray. O God, who called your servant Theodora to an earthly throne that she might advance your heavenly kingdom and who gave her the wisdom to establish unity where there had been division. Create in your church such godly union and concord that we might proclaim the gospel of the Prince of Peace, not only in correct theology, but in right actions. All this we ask through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now that we've prayed, Father Joshua, would you like to tell us where the term office comes from?
1: It's from a Latin uh, contraction, meaning literally work doing. It uh, actually comes from um, the root being opus, which is also where we get the word opera, meaning the works. So the daily office is the daily work of the church. And this is what I was taught in the in the monastery, so there may be something else. <laughs> well, I, I just
2: wanted to add when I was when I was trying to settle my own curiosity on that, uh, I learned that it's the same use of office as say the office of the president or or someone who is in office. It's a responsibility that one has or a work that one does.
0: Mm. Right. Right, so the daily office that we get in in the Book of Common Prayer, whether whichever right you're praying of the office, is our daily work as Christians
1: um, and one may might even sorry for the train it's circle it's going to keep happening um, the One may look at it as duty it is one's duty to pray every day, as Paul said, pray without ceasing. So um, that's why the church kind of picked this up and ran with it.
0: Well, if we, if we think about the origins of, of prayer in general, and I'm quoting loosely here from uh, Mother Julia Gata, um, and also from a little bit of um, uh, uh, Marion Hatchett, who wrote the commentary on the American prayer book, Jewish piety, which of course our faith has its roots in, uh, evolved a a round of prayer for the temple, the synagogue, and for personal use. And so as we separated ourselves from Judaism eventually, sometime around 70 AD, these are traditions that have already been part of our DNA, this, this series of saying prayers throughout the day. And so the the way that we see this developing further in the tradition is the development of the monastic hours. So we have these, um, I think it's the psalmist that says in Psalm 119 verse 164, that's actually printed in mother Julia's book, seven times a day, do I praise you. And so it's from there that we see the seven hours of monastic prayer developing from, Yes, there are monks in the world that pray all seven hours of the daily office, which, if you think about that, pretty much means that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, there is a group of monks or nuns or religious somewhere praying. They're doing their duty. They're doing their office it's wild to think that the entire world turns on the prayers of, of men and women everywhere.
1: Well, I love how Scott Gunn put it in his book. uh, If you're taking the people of the book, so um, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, Judaism has its own daily office. Um, Islam, we know has at least five a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, the most beautiful thing in the world to me was when I was in because uh, Father Tyler. We have to mention Israel at least, at least once in a podcast Um So I was in Nazareth at the Basilica of the Annunciation and standing in the doorway as inside the Sancta Maria was being sung or chanted, and the um, Muslim called a prayer was being proclaimed from the minaret next door and the sound of them and the music of it all kind of blended together and realizing that everyone in that town in that moment was taking a pause to either think about God or pray to God or some sort of action like that. So if you not just Christianity are all around the world, but Judaism, uh, Christian, Jewish, Jews, Christians, and Muslims all around the world saying their prayers at their different times, there is constant prayer to God.
0: It's just astounding. Um, That's very moving. It it is moving. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, I I don't know that we're always aware of that fact, that there is all of this prayer constantly swirling around in the creation. And it, it actually will... Help me sleep better to be reminded of that fact that somewhere somebody <laughs> is praying for the good of of all creation I hope um and and so that's yeah that is that is very encouraging, so the way we go from this seven monastic hours that in fact start at three o'clock in the morning, I was up at three o'clock this morning, but I was not praying the hours. Or, or at midnight.
1: Or at midnight. It depends, right? Yeah. So there are most, especially in the Americas, there are a lot that don't pray prime anymore. But right. the first hour starts really, really early. And then matins and lauds and terse and mm-hmm. so on and so
0: forth. But basically, you, you have this cycle of prayer that's happening from first thing before the sun even rises. Yeah. You know, till the sun sets and then back again. Um, And that was the way it was for so many years until 1549. Um, And then a little thing happened called the English Reformation. And this guy called Thomas Cranmer wrote this book called the Book of Common Prayer. In the vernacular, in, in the language of the people... And he takes all of these seven hours, seven monastic hours, and condenses them down into a set of morning prayer, noonday prayer, and evening prayer, so that at least the literate members of the population, which let's be clear, that was a very exclusive group in the 16th century, um, so that the people had the prayers available to them so they could pray them at home, so that they could pray them... You know, without the need of them going into a church, without the need of a priest being present, again, all of this assumes uh, that the person who has access to this text, which one, would have been extremely expensive because books were still really pricey in the 16th century, and two, that they had the skill set to read them. So essentially, Cranmer enables the nobles to pray privately in their own homes, the prayers that that monastics have been saying since time immemorial.
1: I'll also add that this is not some kind of great shock, right? Right. Um, the idea, even among the illiterate of stopping at certain times during the day in England at this point, is that's what we're talking about, um, is still familiar. Um, you hear uh, the chapel bell ring and you know one of the prayers is happening and that's kind of how your day is set as well it's still that way in um, some rural parts of Europe particularly in the agricultural parts where the angelus is still rung in the morning and in the evening and so when it rings in the morning you know it's time to go out to the field when it rings at night you know it's time to come in from the field Um, it just sets a rhythm for everybody, whether or not they're stopping and saying what's written in the book.
0: So even Christians have this call, this public call to prayer. It's one of the reasons why we ring bells before church services start to call people's attention to where the church is. I mean, it's something we do, pun totally intended, religiously here at St. Anne's. always ring the bells before the service starts. And after after the service is over, we just leave the bells to ring for a few minutes, you know, so that people know that the service has ended. Um, I'd I do it not just because of tradition, but because St. Anne's is located in a very residential neighborhood. And I want people to know that that my church here, that the Episcopal church here, is at its prayers. And it, it helps people in the community understand that Christianity is still very much alive. You know, it's not just this weird building that sits over here on a busy corner that we're actually doing things inside this building.
1: Um, go ahead. One of the parishes that I'm, uh, Starting at, actually, this Sunday, St. Peter's in Gallipolis, Ohio. And I just finished reading a history of Gallipolis that was written by one of the members in the 90s. I think, like, 1991 or something. they talk about the bell, which I've seen the rope for. It's still there. It's from the 19th century. And it's actually written into the bylaws that that bell can only be written for religious purposes. Wow. So, no... um, You know, tolling for for national pride or anything like that. It is just when there is a religious service happening is when that bell is rung, and it's to be rung whenever there is a religious service happening. And you better
0: believe that there is a vestry member or a duly appointed elder member of that parish that knows that and enforces it strictly. Because that's the way we've always done it. So, (laughs) so Matt, how, how much of this did you know before today, before you agreed to come on the BCP and me? Oh,
2: so, so far, so far I I knew most of this. I, I, I am not a cradle Episcopalian, which means that I have, uh, the, the zeal of the convert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm also a, pretty big nerd who spends a lot of time digging into things that I'm, that I'm into. Uh, So, so far, so
0: far, so good. So far, so good. So we've talked about where it came from. We've talked about, you know, the term itself. So what I'd like to do next is actually for us to just kind of take a crack at at least the office in general and, and look at some of the anatomy. I, again, I, I give credit to Scott Gunn and Melody Shoby for their book, Walk in Love, um, because in it they've given us a rough anatomical outline of what an office consists of. In fact, he writes on page 115 of, um, of, his, of their book, um, Walk in Love, All of the offices follow a similar structure, though each has unique prayers and features suited to its time of day. So each office includes an opening sentence. It's like a seasonal sentence of scripture or an opening versicle or a response between the leader and the congregation or all of that. There are the Psalms. As Christians, the, the Psalter is a big part of our common worship, especially in the Episcopal Church. You can't have a service without having a psalm involved. You have readings from Holy Scripture that come from both from the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Canticles, which are songs that come from sometimes from Scripture, sometimes from tradition. Um, Sometimes they are modern compositions that are based on both tradition and Scripture. And, of course, um, What's at the heart of the office is, of course, the prayers, and then concluding versicles and responses. And so, every office—it doesn't matter if you're doing morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, compline—you have these. You have these elements that you can pick out and move through it. Um, and I kind of feel like everybody has their favorites. Um, I've I've of course got my book of common prayer here in front of me, and when I say favorites, I'm thinking of like opening sentences, um, like you have, for example, in Epiphany, one of the sentences that's coming up this time of year, uh, a opening sentence from the book of the prophet Malachi. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I kind of feel like it's important that we started with the church calendar before we got into this, because these opening sentences reinforce the season that we're in. It helps remember what our what our seasonal themes are that we're exploring in this particular point in the life of the church,
1: right? And in our busy lives, one it helps us focus on the season. Two, if you are regularly regularly praying the office, it helps to kind of um, center on what day it is. Even
0: well, uh, you can't and you can't know what you're praying if you don't know what day it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. <laughs> Is that the office is rooted in
1: time as well.
0: Is that where you're going with
1: that? Yes. Okay. It, it, because, it, especially in the time of pandemic, and I know when we were first today getting ready for this, it's like, it has been a week. Um, it's Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Right. The, the week's not over yet. Uh, it's been a week. And in the time of pandemic, especially when we go into lockdown and it's like, I'm not sure when I last had a shower and how long have I been wearing these pajama bottoms and what day is it exactly? And um, the, the daily office is a good way to kind of reconnect and help us know what day we're on and what's going on. Um, I kind of, it kind of makes me think there's a story of my great grandmother, you know, Monday was laundry day. Every Monday was laundry day. So she knew it was Monday because it was laundry day. You could walk into her house and if you smelled the, uh, vinegar and detergent, you know, it was Monday. (laughs) And so there are different ways that we do that throughout humanity, but, um, I think it's, that's one of those, things that it's good to to center on and yeah. kind of bring us back to the now to the present.
2: I have to say that has been that has very much been a blessing during the pandemic. It's been a very good way as someone who has been working from home since March. It's now mid February mid February so almost a year. Um it has certainly been a very good way to maintain a rhythm and mm-hmm. to just maintain um, a, a mindful sense of the passage of time, uh, because otherwise it can start to feel like living the same day over and over and over again.
1: And however much we love Bill Murray, mm-hmm. <laughs> Groundhog Day is once a year. We don't, <laughs> <get it. laughs> we don't need any more days.
0: I'm sorry, did you say Groundhog Day or Feast of the Presentation?
1: I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, when uh, Phil was brought to the temple.
0: Matt, it, I told you before you agreed to come on the podcast that you were taking your immortal soul into your own hands.
1: So. <laughs> if the Christ child sees shadow, we have six more weeks of winter.
0: I, I have the waiver right here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably should have signed that. Yeah. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, all, her- all heresy notwithstanding. <laughs>
0: quietas at consentire So, uh, so <laughs> right,
1: i think i think this is a good place to move on into the uh office because the very next thing is after the opening sentence is the confession of concession it's
2: it's exactly what we need
0: <laughs> more than you know my brother more <laughs> than you know so you know, one of the things that got said to me when I became an Episcopalian, and it was a very rude thing to say to somebody, is that Episcopalians don't know anything about confession. They don't know anything about repenting of their sins. And I took deep <laughs> exception to that because in, in all 900 some odd pages of this text, the prayer that I know better than any of them is the prayer for the confession of sins. It's something that is uh, It is ingrained in our DNA that we're constantly doing this self-reflection and saying, hey, God, it's me again. I screwed it up. I'm going to try and, and live my life better from this point forward. Will you forgive me for my sins? And, of course, God, who is faithful, who sees that we're contrite and we're sorry for the things that we've got done wrong, Forgives us our sins. But I think it's so important that this is a part of the office because at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, we have this moment of reflection and examination.
1: Well, and I think it's very, the words of the confession in particular. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and deed. And here's my favorite. By what we have done And by what we have left undone. Because I was very when I first I so I spent some time with the monks and I was very confused when I first did this. Because I was like, why are we praying confession first thing in the morning? And give me time. There's lots of jokes that can be made about that. But the prior came back with, you know we're also praying for forgiveness for those things that we have left undone that have escaped our mind or that we have intentionally pushed away. Um, uh, You know, we don't really control our dreams. And sometimes in our dreams, we are angry at people because that's the stress of our day and our, our, psyche is trying to deal with it and so we come to god and first thing in the morning and say i'm sorry for everything what i've done what i've left undone things said things left unsaid everything only you know all that i need forgiveness for
0: and and so as benedict puts it we begin again and we always begin again, according to St. Benedict.
1: Yeah, we begin again,
0: again, 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 again. How many cups of coffee did it take for you to do that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> all of them. All of them. All, oh. of, all of the cups of coffee. Um. And so following following our confession comes the absolution. And then we have another set of these these opening sentences that begin the, inv- the,
1: the Psalter. Another- oh, I'd, I'd like to say something about the, um, absolution father carry on uh, because it's, it's often unmisunderstood. misunderstood because there are many outside the Catholic faith, big C, um, who see that as one of those big heresies, see absolution as a big heresy because only God can forgive sins. Um, And we say that it is important to hear the words of absolution because our heart and our mind um, have trouble forgiving ourselves. Mm. Hmm. So, Hearing those words, even if we're saying, if it is the priest alone saying, Almighty God, have mercy on you, saying this is what God has done for you, or you taking it on yourself, Almighty God, have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins through my, our, through my Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen me in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep me in eternal life. Um, it's important for us to hear that it's important for it to be said out loud.
0: And, and I think that's a good point. You know, that whether we whether we have one of these confessions, or these absolutions, rather, that follow the confession in the office or follow the confession in the Holy Eucharist, what we're hearing are those words. And those words are spiritually and also psychologically and emotionally important. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons why I hold up and command to all people the office of The reconciliation of a penitent. There is something profoundly powerful about sitting down with a priest and saying, Okay, I got to get this off my chest. I've got to confess this. And that priest, hearing my sins and hopefully hearing my contrition, or else I'm in big trouble, offers me those words of absolution. It's the smallest possible quorum in the church. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst of them. And to hear a priest say, your, you know, your sins have been put away. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins. It lifts the burden. It, it tells me that, that God still loves me and still cares about me and, and ha- is empowering me to continue to do work in the world. It's profound. And it's terrible if you don't get that on a regular basis. <laughs> I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist. You talk about Catholic guilt. I grew up with Southern Baptist guilt. Like,
2: Oh, man.
0: <laughs> we ain't got time. That's guilt. We ain't got time. Uh, the first time I heard the words of the absolution, I was like, Man, the 60 of us that were gathered together in this little church in Scottsboro, Alabama, all kneeled down, we all confessed our sins, and then we were forgiven. So don't don't tell me that Episcopalians don't know anything about confession. We're always looking for ways to, to seek God's face and be forgiven for the things that we've done or left undone. And God, who is faithful, forgives us Mm. and more than forgives us restores us as we continue to tumble down this cycle of, of forgiveness, repentance, we're shaped more and more into the likeness of Christ.
1: And, and that's where we start with the office. Right there. there. And then we can move on into hearing those words of good news and saying the prayers of our faith.
0: This may expand into a four episode series because we're not even through the Psalter yet. (laughs) (laughs) We may have to expand again. Um, But moving on into the Psalter, the Psalter is the set of, of, of hymns that has been part of, of, of of Judaism for millennia and are part of Christian worship again, because of our roots. But I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but in all 150 and maybe arguably 151 Psalms is contained the entire essence of human experience. Like I feel like you can look through the Psalms and go, Man, I'm really having a day, and like I really need God to do something about my enemies. Or I'm really feeling alone, and I'm feeling isolated. Psalm 61 begins, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I. Tell me y'all ain't felt out.
2: Someone recently, it might have been might have just been somebody on Twitter. I'm not 100 percent sure, uh, but was talking about how some of the, uh, some of the language in some of the psalms is, is kind of gnarly and kind of brutal and doesn't really feel like something that we feel good asking God to do to even our enemies. But that, in a way, the Psalms are this sort of instruction manual for how to pray, examples on how to pray. And what we're seeing in those moments of, you know, a person calling for, I'm not even going to go there, but some of the kind of gnarly and violent things that happen in the Psalms.
1: Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and say it <laughs> well they' dashing, you know, dashing their children's brains against the rock
2: that's the one that's what? actually the one it was the it was the the yeah that was the one uh that what it's doing is demonstrating the kind of 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 radical openness that we can share with God that we can we can express that. Honestly, right now I just want you to strike this person dead, please. And even and I mean, obviously, no, no, we don't. Although, you know, maybe in that moment we kind of do. But it demonstrates that that uh that that's okay, that we can we can bear that to God. That's 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 all right. We are human and people have had these same feelings and have lashed out in the same ways that we want to now sometimes. Uh since the time of the psalmist or psalmists.
0: And I think it's it's so important, Matt, that you say that it is a way of praying. Because when you read the Psalms, you see an evolution of feeling that happens inside of the Psalms. You -hmm. can almost see conversion. You can almost see contrition. You can almost feel the burden of the psalmist being lifted as they bear their soul to God.
2: Absolutely. You know, one the other the other thing that recently I saw that that really resonated with me was the idea that given the history of the psalms as prayers, as songs in Judaism, of of all the things that we pray in out of the prayer book, the ones that Jesus also prayed, the bit of the prayer book that was Jesus prayer book is the psalms, is the Psalter.
1: Are you okay, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Somebody called the police because there's – <laughs> I've just been assaulted. <laughs> Assault I have never heard anybody – I didn't do that on purpose. I, mm-hmm. I have never heard it put that way. But that is such an elegant way of putting it that the Psalms are Jesus' prayer book.
2: I can't claim it. Whoever said that, if it was one of the, the lovely folks on weird Anglican Twitter or or elsewhere, well, I, mean, uh, I if it care- was – I, it don't care who
0: said it, I don't care who said it before you said
1: it to me and so I like have a vessel.
0: you the credit for that.
1: <laughs> so this is why when I flew to Tel Aviv in my journal, I'm right I wrote it in the Hebrew because I was really stuck in Hebrew at the time and then <laughs> wrote it up in English but I wrote this I can't remember which one it is, but it's the uh, um, let us go up to the house of the Lord. It's the first of the Songs of Ascent, which were sung for millennia by people as they are going up to Jerusalem. So I actually got this from, um, I think it was Dean Alexander who recommended it, but I'm in on the bus as we're driving from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, where you literally are going uphill the entire way and saying, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let is us go like to Mount Zion. We like have a chillies.
0: Yeah. And then when you get into Jerusalem, you still have to go up to get to the house of the Lord because the temple sits on a pinnacle. Yes. You go up and it's it would have been the highest point in the city, except for the Mount of Olives, which is much higher, but the city proper, you know, it would have been the highest point in the city.
1: Well, it's said that the, the smoke of the sacrifices of the temple could be seen from Herod's palace at um uh, at the Herodian? Uh, no even further out on the Dead Sea Capernaum no Dead Masada. Sea Masada I figured Masada. out eventually <laughs> eventually but that the smoke from the sacrifices at the temple could be seen rising over the mountains from Masada I'm sorry i'm 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 still recovering from this horrible
0: <laughs> oh, this Jesus' prayer book i am I am verklempt. Uh, <laughs> so we we see these patterns of of God knowing who we are and being laid bare before God.
1: being and truly so, human,
0: being truly human, thank you, you know, and the transformative power that has through the psalms. And then after that, we transition into the lessons, you know, from from the Hebrew Bible, from the New Testament that continue to teach us what our faith is and continue to teach us who our God is that are also seasonally oriented. You know, depending on where we are, the the lectionary that drives those readings is 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 almost like it's saying, shut up and listen, listen. I've got something to tell you this time of year that you need to hear for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And we move through these over and over and over again. And and maybe it's just me, but every time I work through the lectionary, and I've been an Episcopalian for close to 16 years now, I hear something new every time. Or I find that day that I forgot to pray the office and I go, I didn't know this was in there. You know, it, it, it continues to teach you.
1: And I think it is important to point out because Episcopalians are also so often um, condemned for not, not knowing their Bible. And, you know, we don't have Bibles in our pews. So, but we are often surprised to find how much of the book of common prayer is in the Bible. <laughs> one, if you are in the monastic setting, you get through every Psalm in two weeks Um, in our daily office setting, you get through every Psalm in a year, every single one, and you get through most other scripture. There is stuff that's left out in the, of the lectionary, but you get through 90 plus percent of scripture in the course of a year to three years, if you are doing this every day. Mm -hmm. So if anything, (laughs) we're oversaturated, (laughs)
0: And is that even something you can say? Can you be oversaturated from scripture? I mean, like that's you know, that's one of the things is we do swim around in scripture so much. And the Bible is not something that's alien to us. As I reach across my desk and pick up my ordination Bible, you know, it's something that we live our lives through. So, you know.
1: And we are told that the word of God will gush forth from us.
0: Right. And, you know, how many As I'm thinking as we continue to move along in this study of office anatomy, um, how many of us have one of those canticles that we know, you know, surely it is God who saves me. I will trust in him and not be afraid for the Lord is my stronghold and my sure defense and he will be my savior. That's Isaiah 12,
1: <laughs> you know. Um. Come, well, if, since we're in the uh, readings portion, there are canticles that go between the readings and most commonly used is the Venite, right? Right. Which is Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with psalms. I could uh, there was one day I went for a hike in Swanee, and that was one of the three canticles or three psalms that I had memorized, and I just kept saying it over and over again for like the course of an hour.
0: And the interesting thing is is when you when you come from a seminary sort of setting like we had the the psalms, the canticles, they're things that you sing. And music has this power of importing theology into the mind in a way that nothing else can. And so you not only learn the Psalms by singing them, but you learn these canticles and and the metric settings and all of the things about music that I am not remotely qualified to talk about. That's Father Joshua's department. But you learn those tunes. And for me, the sound of the Vanity, the sound of the Jubilate, the sound of the Pascha Nostrum... Christ, our Passover, will always be the sound of the people gathered in chapel of the apostles singing it together. I cannot hear anything else when I look at those texts. And it's another way that points to how our prayer book and how our tradition roots us in the purest sense of the word church, the ecclesia, the community.
1: It allows our community to go with us wherever we go.
2: You know, I... I just remembered something from from as a small child in Catholic school, uh, which was the the, fr- the saying: "Singing is praying twice." Yes, uh, and you know, not to backtrack a little. Uh, oh, fine. I'll be honest: until I started regularly praying the office, I didn't really get the psalms. Hmm. Like, not not in the way that like people clearly did. Right? Uh, they were scripture, you know. Some of them are very beautiful. Uh, they're all very beautiful, but some of them are particularly beautiful. I actually, I read a book. Um, I think it might've been, I think it might've been Cynthia Bourgeau, the, uh, mystic Episcopal priest, uh, who, uh, suggested chanting the Psalms, Mm -hmm. um, which I'd done. I sing in a choir at my church and I, you know, I've done that before, but as a practice and, uh, for a long time, I started doing this very basic chant, when I went through the Psalms and man, it clicked. It did not even take long. They started to feel like songs to me and they, they started to feel there's a rhythm there. Yeah. Um, and I definitely feel that in the, uh, in the canticles as well. There is a definite rhythm there um, that really helps them sort of settle into your bones
0: and in that and i think that ties into exactly what father joshua was saying is that they settle into your bones and it you you take your community with you you know suddenly the prayers of the church aren't just something that you're sitting around going okay well i'm on page you know 97 in the book of common prayer and i'm reading you know the contemporary version of the lord's prayer they live within
1: you well um uh, and now's when the expertise comes in on the physiology of music that when you sing particularly when you sing with a group your breathing changes your heartbeat changes so if you sing with a choir regularly when you come together there comes a point in your rehearsal in your performance whatever where your heartbeats all kind of start to line up. Um, If you spend any time with the monks, you will find that everything slows down, mostly because of that chanting, because it brings the entire community into the same breath the same heartbeat, the same rhythm, um, and you start to move together. You start to think together. You pause at the same time. And, you know, if you've been in a setting where people don't do this regularly or you have strangers that come in, um, you know, like the first week of that you have new people at seminary, um, and somebody's not – there are people that will try to rush it or try to overpower it. I remember we got yelled at by the prior one time because a few of us were trying to, it was like, it feels really good. Let's just sing. And he's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's about making the harmony together and all coming in sync. And it's us coming in sync as a community. And in that moment, so that's the kind of horizontal one also at the same time us coming in sync with God, which is the vertical. And so in the music, we kind of this cross.
0: You've been listening to the first episode in a multi-episode series about the daily office. The next time we get together, we will continue our discussion of the daily office and how it continues to shape our faith as Episcopalians. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the BCP and Me. For more information about us and about the podcast as a whole, you can visit our website at www.bcpandme.com bcpandme.com. There you can find a whole host of resources and ways to connect with us. So until next time, may the peace of the Lord be always with you.